0: Culture Map presents. What's Eric eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler.
1: Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Michael Sandbrooks and Steve Breaker from Sandbrooks Management Company coming up in a little bit. But first, I am joined by two co-hosts this week. As you may have noticed, I was off last week. I spent a couple of days on jury duty, which prohibited me from recording this podcast in a timely way. So last week's co-host and this week's co-host are both on the show this week. Let me start with, he is a frequent, uh, (laughs) he is a passionate advocate for the Houston food scene and a frequent traveler. Matt Harris, welcome back to the show. How are you?
2: Doing well, sir. Good to be here.
1: Thanks for being here. She's the owner of Fluff Bake Bar in Midtown. Rebecca Mastin, welcome back to the show.
3: Thanks, Eric.
1: Becky, thanks for being here. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Loro, the Asian smokehouse that is owned by Tyson Cole of Uchi and Aaron Franklin of Franklin Barbecue confirmed the long simmering rumors that it was going to open a Houston location. They have leased a former church on 11th Street. They will be converting that into a new restaurant that is slated to open in the winter of 2021, by which we I think that means oh God, approximately a year from now. Right? January, February 2021. Wow. Becky Lee Becky, let me start with you. Aaron Franklin's kind of your boy.
3: He's, you know, I, I like to think we're BFFs, but you know, I don't know.
1: <laughs> let me so so let me just let me just be real blunt. Have you talked to Aaron about this? I mean, what what can you what can you tell us? What insights can you share?
3: Well, well, I think it was the worst kept secret ever. Um, um, Aaron told me a while ago um, where he was going and all that, and. I'm really, I, you know, there's every once in a while I'm good at sh- keeping a secret. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, this was this was a poorly kept secret. Aaron was telling people about it. Yeah, he, certainly it's Southern, Southern Smoke. Smoke. Yeah, I, that's yeah. that's when I first started to hear some some.
3: Well, I mean, you get really rumblings. you get really excited, and you you want to you want to shout it from the rooftop, and you know, I get it, but I'm I'm so excited.
1: You've eaten it, Laura.
3: I actually haven't eaten at Loro. I've had a lot of Loro food um at different events. Um, like I most recently I did an event with um well Tyson was there and John Gross was there with Loro for the Texas metal arts or something. Matthew McConaughey was supposed to be there, he wasn't.
2: All right, all right, all right.
3: I know, I wanted to thank him for having me in a commercial, but You know, it was really reliant, but whatever. I digress. Um, But so, you know, I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of, and then from Bram um, uh, at different events too. And it's always delicious.
1: Yeah, Matt. All right, Matt, let me, let me bring you in on this. You've been to Loro. I have been to Loro. What do you think of Loro?
2: Uh, I'm a fan.
1: What, what about it stands out to you?
2: All of it.
3: The (laughs) uniqueness of it. Like, well, what,
1: I mean, so I think. For people who haven't been there, right? They have a they have an idea about they have an idea about the kind of barbecue that Franklin serves because it's been thoroughly imitated by dozens of other restaurants, and they have an idea about what Uchi serves because it's been here in the market since twenty twelve. Has it been here that long? I promise. Oh wow! So yes. what? So I'm what is old. the? So what is the experience like? What are the? What are the two or three memorable dishes that? That really stand out from your well, uh, yeah. There.
2: So I think the, is is don't go expecting some some hybrid of Uchi and Franklins because I, I, to me that's not what Loro is. So it's it's influenced by those flavors. Um, it uh, I think they call it a Asian smokehouse.
3: They marry. Right they now. do like the the smokiness from yes. the meat. So, and-
2: a- absolutely, I, the meats are the stars for me. Um, There's some really fun dishes. Price point is nice. Space is particularly outside. Uh, it's just a good time. You can go with with by yourself. You can go with you know small group, big group. It's interesting. It delivers on flavor. Again, the the meat and the to me is the star. So, all right.
3: Very I good. imagine the hospitality to be amazing because uh, yeah, you know Uchi's. Amazing. I mean, well, both are amazing.
2: They, it just delivers on the experience. So
1: yeah, and I, I mean, I think I like. I mean, I I haven't had the chance to eat there. I I certainly aspire to, but I I do like that it's fast casual. I like that you don't have to stand in a in a huge long line to wait to order. You know, I like that it's indoor outdoor. I, you know, it's a flexible dining space. I. You know, I looked at the price points. It all seems pretty reasonable.
2: Yeah, and they're having some fun with it too. I mean, we had a, a, a brisket popcorn dish uh, when we were there, and it's just like salty, sweet, and just finger food. It's like, all right, this is pretty good. <laughs> like I'm a happy boy. I don't need a lot. Let's let's be honest. And anyone that knows me knows that I don't need very much. <laughs> if i'm in tokyo I'm. <laughs> um all right and uh i so
1: let me let me ask you one other thing about this cuz i i got some and and i will say this is a minority view but there is a little bit of pushback on the number of restaurants opening in the heights that the sense that the heights is is saturated that there's too many businesses there i i don't i don't think i I definitely don't agree with that. I think, I think people who express that view are, are clinging to a version of the heights that, that may have existed you know 10 or 15 years ago, but doesn't really exist anymore, that there's been a lot of development both in the neighborhood and surrounding the neighborhood, so that there's a, a bigger population that used to e- then used to exist there, and that people see the heights now as a rival with Montrose as a destination for dining. But is is there a point at which, are are we reaching the point where there's too many restaurants on the Heights? Is it harder to compete?
3: Well, as someone who lives in Oak Forest, I welcome it because you had to go all the way to Montrose. When I first moved here, what was that, 0- 07? You had to go to Montrose to go eat something good. And I don't want to drive to Montrose anymore. I'm old and like to be at home <laughs> right <laughs>
2: becky and i are in the old and cranky crowd <laughs> get off my lawn <laughs> <laughs>
3: you know maybe maybe like the neighborhoods are kind of pissed off with the parking i know there the were traffic in the parking of the, you know, the big there complaints were, i remember when snooze opened and a couple of foodie people that you saw their posts a lot were just Pissed.
1: Oh, live it. Yeah, absolutely.
3: And you're like, hello, the world gets bigger every day. It's yeah. going to happen. Right.
1: Your house that you bought in, you know, 2000 is worth twice as much money now. You there know, you go. Thank you very
3: congratulations. much. Congratulations. I know. Yes. I mean, you know, I did, but as, as someone who lives close to the heights, I welcome it. And I like the variety. I like that I can choose. I don't have to just go to, well, what would we have shade? Back then, yeah.
1: yeah, you had shade and maybe glass wall.
3: Oh yeah, glass wall. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: we've come a long way. Still a sola ten years ago,
3: yeah. Oh my God, was that ten years ago? God, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> there were so many baby faces in that kitchen. Yes, and look at them True all story. now. And it's they've amazing. gone on to
1: do they've gone on to do True beautiful story. things.
3: I know. I'm so proud of those those little youngins. All right. Well, I think, uh,
2: and I think it's the opposite. Well, the inverse, perhaps, is uh, living in Montrose is now it's, pro- you, you know, I can go outside of Montrose a little bit. But I'm not going to do it as often as someone who lives in the Heights or maybe Oak Forest.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, and I think Lauro kind of existed in, in an independent sphere or a separate this is a destination restaurant. It's owned by uh, two of the most critically acclaimed chefs in Texas. You know, people from all over Houston are going to want to try Loro, I think. And honestly, I'm, I would rather it be in the Heights. I mean, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, there's no way this restaurant opens in the Heights. It opens in the Galleria, maybe in Rice Village. You know, if you want to talk about... Maybe Washington. Maybe Washington, but if you if you want to talk about traffic and ease of access and, and all that, like I, I think I would rather it I would rather it be in the heights.
3: Bring it on. Yeah.
1: All right. Exactly. Topic That's number it. two, international smoke has closed. This was the restaurant. Uh, celebrity chef Michael Mina from San Francisco partnered with lifestyle guru Aisha Curry to create a menu inspired by life live cooking traditions from around the world. They hired E.J. Miller, a talented local chef who'd worked at Salter Seafood Kitchen, Riel, a bunch of other places to run the thing. And they picked a prime location in City Center with a great patio. And it is gone in about a year and a half.
3: I bet those Rocket fans that bitched and moaned in the beginning are dancing up and down right now. (laughs) Ha ha! jerk faces. (laughs) Those Uh, NBA pedantics.
1: (laughs) Matt, what do you think? I mean, are you are you surprised? I'm personally surprised that it closed so quickly. What was your what was your
2: reaction? I think so. Um I feel like you know, there is Houston does have that reputation a little bit of of not being as friendly to outsiders, right? We've seen a number of concepts come in and close fairly quickly. Um, I thought hiring EJ was a really strong move. Um, the food there, to me, stood up. Um, I, I, I would I would put it in the surprise category.
1: Becky, what about you? I mean, I know you you probably never made it there.
3: <laughs> no, it's too far. No, but I'm a big fan of EJ and and again I've have had a lot of EJ's food. And I think I kind of agree with Matt. Like it's kinda hard to bring it's kinda hard for those maybe it's we just support our own and we don't want some outsiders. Well let me let
1: me float a theory to you. I think it's even though when EJ was a guest on this podcast once and I asked him about the word barbecue. And he said, oh, no, we call that the B word. Yeah. Because we don't, we don't want people to get confused about what we're doing and, and that it's different than Texas barbecue. So I wonder if, if they hadn't just called it, if they hadn't just built it as a seafood restaurant, you know, because they had, they had, the, they had the, a fried fish, they had a roasted fish, they had roasted oysters, they had all this, like, smoky grilled fish dishes. If they if they had pitched it as a seafood restaurant with some smoky elements, I and not and stayed away from any reference to barbecue and not served those like not very good pork spare ribs, I I just don't wonder if it would have people would have approached it differently, a different Be- expectation walking in, right? Because I think when you talk about barbecue in Texas, it it's such a loaded that that term comes with so many expectations, and you can. If you're not serving, you know sliced brisket, smoked sausage, uh, you know you're stuck.
3: Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Uh, I like, I mean, I you call something international smoke, and I, my mind immediately goes to meat, meat, not fish. So I could see that, but I just like to blame it on the rocket fans. <laughs> that's just mine.
2: I think that's fair. I mean, let's let's not lose sight of that. Flaming Rockets. Let's not lose sight. They were given
3: like zero-star Yelp reviews before it even opened. Yelp,
2: clean some of that
1: up. I mean, I
3: know, but still, it was still. It started. It 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 had a it had a a a bad juju out of the gate. We're
2: getting closer to the real issue. What is
1: the real issue, in your opinion?
2: Y e l p.
1: (laughs) 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 I I do not think that. I, I do not think that Yelp reviews can make or break a restaurant. Maybe I'm being naive.
2: Well, I, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know that it's any one thing. Um, I know that, that branding and expectations are important, but I think there's something also to momentum um, and, and not to belabor the, the Rockets point. I just, it's, I think it's difficult when you come out of the gates without that type of momentum to sustain you. We've seen that in some other places recently um, from out-of-town out of locations and concepts um, that, that are successful in other places and come here and, and don't have that momentum in the beginning and, 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 and look for it and try different things and, and it doesn't well, happen. And,
3: and to be fair, outside of people who travel and know food, we have 4 million people in this city. How many of them know who Michael Mina is?
1: Right, but I think a lot of them know who Aisha Curry is.
3: That's true.
1: I mean, I maybe I'm again, maybe I'm being naive. Yeah, you're right. Michael Mina, I mean, it's not it's not Thomas Keller, you know, but right. But he I mean but, they did, but he did, has a very good reputation.
3: They did. And they did a great job like teaming up with Hugo and like kind of getting someone with a lot of local popularity to try it. I mean, they did do a good job at yeah. that. Yeah,
1: and they did a lot of groundwork. I mean, Michael Mina came here for pop-ups. I, I remember one at, at Hugo's where they sold out and, and had a bunch of people in, and, and I thought, you know, I I thought that was kind of the well, Garden Grace went, Garden Grace just do, did a lot of did a lot of that in the run-up to their opening where they did a series of, of dinners and events with local chefs to kind of introduce themselves to the market. I thought I thought International Smoke did some of that. I thought they did it pretty well. But, I, but then, you know, I, but then also, you know, they've since they opened in Houston, they've opened two restaurants in, in Florida. I, they've, they're working on a location in Vegas. You know, maybe this didn't have their full attention, right? Maybe That's, making yeah. Houston successful wasn't as high a priority for them as it might have been for a smaller restaurant group with fewer locations.
3: I mean I think we get I think we all kind I mean I definitely fall victim to this but you have on like social media you have the food based part of Houston right and it's maybe it's 10% of the 4 million people that live here and you think oh my god 500 people like this photo they're all going to come order it and then five do right cuz the other 450 don't live in Houston but it's I think we kind of like we see what we see on a daily basis on social media and in the news, because those are the things we're hyper-focused on, and we think, oh my god, this is amazing, this is gonna be great, it's gonna kill it, and then it turns out to be a dud, because we didn't think about the other three and a half million people that live in this city that might not know who Michael Mina is, might mistake international smoke for barbecue. Um, So I think there's a lot of factors in that. We have to kind of open our eyes on how we market and brand ourselves and maybe Maybe that was just it. Maybe they should have gone more seafood-focused.
2: Well, I think it's a reminder that opening a restaurant is difficult. There's not a thing, you know, there's not, like, ten points. Like, if you follow these ten things, you're going to be successful. And um, there's – and it's usually not one single thing. Um, but, you know, I'm sad for EJ. I really enjoy his cooking. I know, I love I, He's a talented guy. I think he'll land on his feet. Um, but that's – uh Unfortunately,
3: he spent a lot I mean he went to San Francisco for what a good month. Yeah, I mean, he put a lot of time and effort in, so:
1: yeah, maybe'll they'll, maybe they'll snatch him up and, and take him to Vegas for the, uh, for the Vegas location.:
3: He can't go to Vegas. He has to stay here. Sorry, E.J. <laughs> I've grounded you.
1: All right, let's move on. topic number three. The owners of Doris Metropolitan announced that they are opening a new modern Israeli restaurant called Hamsa. This will be opening in the former uh, fifty-five, fifty-five Morningside. It, it used to be a bar. They're gonna they're gonna gut it and renovate it and give it a tree-lined or tree shaded patio. Dock holidays. That's what it used to ah. be. The old the old Dock holidays, which is where the first version of Pokeology opened uh, a couple of three years ago. Sure. Sure. Wait, I mean, so
3: it was Doc Holidays, then it was Pokeology, yes. and now it's going to be uh, the Israeli. Okay, I, I'm I'm now on the same page.
1: All right, Matt. I know. I, I know you've been to uh, Doris Metropolitan, Becky. Have, this is. I, I feel like I know the answer to this. There's no <laughs> way you've been to Doris Metropolitan.
3: <laughs> I went to Trinity. We.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so there should be there should be a segment on the show. Where has, where, <laughs> has, where has Becky she, been? Yeah, where's Becky eating? It's a short list.
3: Well, we all know that when I open maps at leaving work, it tells me to go to Rial. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's fair. Yeah.
1: I mean, no argument for me. All right. Uh, Matt, I think you're with me on this. I, I, Doris has been open for a couple of years now. Um, I think it is one of the most creative and consistently satisfying steakhouses in Houston. And I am extremely excited about the prospect of a modern Israeli restaurant opening
2: here. It's, uh, I I would say, excitement is is pretty high, yes.
1: I mean, from my perspective, Houston has not had a restaurant that kind of explores this cuisine. I mean, you know, the most prominently, uh, especially for Houstonians, probably familiar with, if you go to New Orleans, you might have gone to Shia or Sabra, uh, which are the two restaurants founded by uh, Alone Shia and Israeli Chef. Or then in Philadelphia, Zahav is uh, widely considered to be one of the best restaurants in the country. Um, Michael Solomonoff has done very well with that, won multiple James Beard awards. So I don't, I don't, I don't say that to say that I think Hamza is going to is going to earn national acclaim in the same way. But if we can get a restaurant of similar quality locally. Um, and the 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 people behind doris metropolitan being israeli uh i have i have i am very excited i have high expectations
2: well and it, right and only i don't think we need to even get to that level um i mean obviously if we do that's a huge huge win for the city uh but just a really good everyday israeli eatery like that uh right. would be it's, in my my humble opinion, it's something that's missing from the Houston dining scene. Absolutely, right.
3: That pita better be good.
2: Right, that pita better, well, uh, I mean, <laughs> Doris has some of the, the best bread
3: in Houston. I know, that's why, that I've heard that a hundred million times, and that's why I'll go. Yeah. Because so, I bet that pita's going to be good.
1: Yeah, I think that pita's going to be good. I think the hummus is going to be good. I think, you know, the kebabs and the vegetable dishes and and... All of those things will be. Uh, again, i don't want to I don't want to belabor the point, but I, I do think this will be a, a really nice addition, coming well, and, coming
2: in the summer. And it's it's also it's it's a type of food that it's uh, really, um, sort of speaks to you when you eat it. It's clean. It's fresh. It's satisfying. It's different. And um, I, yeah I, I something that would be on the rotation regular rotation.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially if the, the price point, you know, I asked Etai Ben Ali, who's one of the owners of Doris about this and he, you know, obviously the price point will be lower than Doris, which is, you know, a steakhouse serving dry aged prime beef. So, you know, to the, to the point that it's affordable, um, you know, this is, this is the kind of place you could eat a couple times a month instead of a couple times a year. I'm down. True story. I'll All right. Go. Um, I'll call Matt. It's a date. It's a date. <laughs> yeah. And then, real briefly, topic number four. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to linger on this too long, but I, I do think it's worth noting that Richard Knight has left Atlas Diner at Bravery Chef Hall. Uh, Richard is a chef I've been following for a very long time, going back to Feast, Feast uh, the restaurant he opened in Montrose in the Mid two thousands, they they 2009,
2: got some two thousand and
1: nine, Daddy. Is that when it opened?
3: Yeah, I was at Catalan. Okay, I remember the first time I met them was there. Somehow,
1: somehow in my head, I had it as two thousand seven or eight, but you, it may
2: have. If it did, it snuck into uh, late two thousand and eight because it it won several awards for best new restaurant in two thousand nine. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I remember Mr. when it won.
3: Uh,
1: you know, my table restaurant of the year. <laughs> Uh, I remember when they got a a Beard semi-finalist nomination, you know, it, you know, that menu with um, nose to tail cooking and farm, like local farm produce and the idea that the menu changed a little bit every day that that based on availability, like if you didn't, if you didn't go, if you saw a dish on a Tuesday, you had to go that night because it might not be around by Wednesday or Thursday.
3: Didn't Lyle work in that kitchen too? Uh
1: Lyle worked in that kitchen, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, Lyle Bento. too. Uh,
3: I only remember that it was it, I was at Catalan cuz Richard and um what was the other gentleman? James. James Silk. And uh his wife Megan came to eat at Catalan and um Richard told me my sticky toffee my sticky toffee pudding was better than his mom's. I wow. I, like, I know. I was like, "Man, a British man told me that."
1: That might be the nicest thing anyone's ever said to you.
3: It might be. Yeah. Well,
2: I just said that we would go eat at Hamsa, Hamsa, <laughs> so <laughs> so that's probably second. number two now. Yeah,
3: yeah. Okay, we're on a roll.
2: <laughs> uh, oh, don't forget about Roy.
3: Oh, and then Roy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Roy gave me a compliment. Two A. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. Um, All right. I'm sad.
1: So yeah, no. So I, you know, I talked to Richard uh, a little bit. I, I I heard about this. I went over to bravery. I talked to Richard, and and he said. That you know the demands of day to day restaurant service are just, you know he's got, he's got he got married last year he he has a young daughter he wants to spend time with his wife and his daughter I you know no no argument for me about that uh, I just I'm gonna miss knowing that I could have his food because I've been eating it I I I was a feast you know I was a feast fan I was a big advocate for hunky dory um, sad that that. Didn't work out in the way that it was supposed to, and I thought Atlas was kind of, you know, uh, uh, an extension of some of the more casual stuff that he had done at, at Hunky Dory, and and kind of quirky and fun in its way, and and a compelling addition to Bravery Chef Hall. Uh, but I will miss, I will miss knowing that I could go there and see him.
3: So brave. Um Atlas will still be in the
1: Yeah, Atlas is sticking around and it's and Kat Lee is gonna run that kitchen. And she's someone who's been around for a long time. She she used to run the kitchen at grand prize. Oh yeah. She was Anthony Calio's right hand at Pie Pizza when that opened. She worked on the line at Cultivare. She's super talented, hardworking. so I don't worry about Atlas under Kat's leadership, but this is just more like this is this is the end of Richard's kind of 10 plus year career in houston restaurants and it's just a little bit you know someone someone who's cooking i've enjoyed for a long time and, and someone whose presence i'm gonna miss seeing on a regular basis
3: same i think that's fair yeah
1: all right that does it for the news of the week we'll be right back with our restaurants of the week stick around
0: you're listening to what's eric eating
1: so for our Restaurants of the Week, uh, Matt and Becky, I've eaten at one establishment with each of you. Becky, let me start with you. Let's talk about Presley's Southern Good Eatery. This is uh, a southern fried kind of restaurant with a, with a massive patio that, that opened uh, right on the border of Shady Acres and Lazy Brook Timber Grove. Becky, let me just throw it to you. What did you, what did you think of Presley's?
3: You'll probably never see me there again. <laughs> uh, this I from- think um, I think if you are a family with children and want to go hang out, dad wants to watch baseball or football, and the wives want to get together and talk, and the children can go play and eat chicken fingers, boom, nailed it. That's it.
1: Yeah, I, I had higher hopes for this place. I got a, I got a preview tasting before it opened that I thought was pretty good. Um, sadly, like your, your chicken tenders were dry. Mm-hmm. My chicken fried steak was bland. The fried the fried pickles were good.
3: The French fries were good.
1: French fries were good. The fried pickles were good. Yeah. You know, they do
3: have a large selection of white claw.
1: They have a, they have a large selection of white claw. They have a, a big cocktail menu. They have a gigantic patio. I think I'm with you. I think this is more of a hangout spot. Uh, very family friendly. Prices are reasonable. Um, not really the food destination. I mean, I I love southern fried comfort food. I I was, I was hoping for a little better
2: from Presley's.
3: I'm right there with you. Did
2: somebody say fried pickles?
3: Yeah, they have fried pickles. They have really good fried pickles. They're pretty good, and the French fries are really good. But other than, Eric was like, they, I knew we were in trouble when I go, "How's your chicken fried steak?" and he goes, "It's fine."
1: This is, uh, <laughs> yeah. I've had I was like, yeah, so we're, as we're my done. as my as my grandmother as my grandmother once once said, uh, she was the most proper like formal New England type you can imagine.
3: I've had better. There you go. Boom. Uh, I had some chicken tenders from Waterburger last night, and they were really good.
2: You know where? <laughs> you know where we didn't have chicken tenders last night?
3: Presley's.
1: Houston, Houston's, Houston's oh, and it's, and it's a, it. oh, sorry. no, no, do that? I have a huge, I have a huge rant about this that I, that we don't have time for on this episode. Of the okay. Show. I'm going to save it. Okay. I will, I will make the, I will have the Houston's chicken binger rant on a upcoming podcast. Uh, Matt, I will say you and I had a, had a more satisfying dining experience at Handy's Dozo. Lucky guy. The new Tamaki establishment from the owners of Kokoro at bravery chef hall. Uh, this is located in the former Happy Fat space on 6th Street. I don't, is it 6th Street at that point or is it White Oak? I think it's I think White, it's White Oak. Oak. I think it's White Oak. All right. Matt, you, uh, you're my expert on all things Japan. What did you think of our Tamaki experience?
2: You had me at Handy's Daddy. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Excuse me. This is a family-friendly show. Oh.
2: I was speaking of food. <laughs> no, but but how did you how did
1: you enjoy our dining experience?
2: Uh, I you know they they were very good.
1: Yeah, I I think just from the 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 crispy nori that toasted nori was game changer. Right. The the rice has the right like vinegar element. I thought the fish was seasoned well. I mean the the only I mean the only thing is I. I don't know how many, like if I were hungry, I don't know how many I would have to eat to feel full.
2: Yeah, I think that's, well, there's a couple things. I I, I don't think that's what they're trying to do. That's, you know, that's not the concept of that you're going to go there and, you know, order uh, a, a, A a starter and, you know, an entree and a dessert. You
3: can walk over to Cultivari when you're done. You could walk over. You
1: can Cultivari. walk over to Cultivari and have a pizza or a bowl of black pepper spaghetti. I think that's the there you go. that's the path to full.
2: I mean, that sounds pretty good.
1: Yeah, I, honestly, I saw, I saw uh, our friend, uh, yeah, Matt Chow and John Yu on on Instagram did that recently, and uh, <laughs> and shout out to those guys. That's doing it. That's doing your. Your white oak two-step, that's, the right no, way. That's my the opinion. handy
2: two-step, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> they just uh, need
3: something sweet on that street, huh? <laughs> there used yeah. to be a gelato place, yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it went away. I know, so sad.
2: Um, that, but but the uh, I, I thought they were they were very good. The flavor was particularly uh, that spicy tuna was notably outstanding.
1: Spicy tuna was outstanding. The hamachi was very good. There was uh, the only one that didn't really work for me was the crab. Didn't have enough crab. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I think that there was there was a ratio issue there uh, on on the crab that that was a little bit of a problem. Right, but nothing
1: about. I mean, I I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I want to go back there, and I am looking forward to comparing it to Hondo. The other Tamaki restaurant that is opening on 11th Street uh, this very week, so yes, you, we'll have uh, food fight Battle Heights hand roll uh, coming up.
2: Correct, not hando, hondo, hondo. Got it. Yes,
1: as we learned, as we learned it's when Jason, when uh, <laughs> Jason and Dia and Man were were on this very show a few weeks ago. Uh, and then, real fast, I do want to note the opening of Jenny's Woo-hoo! Splendid Ice Cream, uh, now open uh, at 19th and Ashland.
3: Get it. Go get it. In the
1: Heights. Becky, you hosted a pop-up for yes. Jenny's with founder Jenny Britton Bauer. Matt, you are a Jenny's super fan.
2: True story.
3: All, these are all facts.
1: E- yes. either, either one of you... Uh, explain to people who haven't tried jenny's what makes that ice cream so good
3: it's magical it's just good it's just solidly the tech it's technically perfect and delicious quality
2: ingredients
3: great flavors
2: great flavors right creamy texture
3: creamy texture
1: right the flavors even like the darkest chocolate
3: which is dairy free by the way
1: i i didn't know that i yeah. know the texas sheet cake is dairy free
3: Oh, maybe that's the one. No, I think the darkest chocolate one that she brought, because the sheet cake and the darkest chocolate, they're both dairy-free, I think.
1: I mean, I I could be
3: wrong, but Texas sheet cake for 100%, yes.
1: Right, so lots of dairy-free options.
3: That cream puff, oh my God. I I saw it on Instagram and wasn't anywhere near. I finally got to taste it.
2: I had gooey butter cake. Oh, yeah. Over Mm. the weekend. I
1: have not had that.
3: Wow. There you go.
2: Well, I'm ordering enough to take a bath. (laughs) <laughs> I
1: mean, I, I had the peanut butter with the chocolate flakes in it, and it's just like the peanut butteriest. It's salty, like not salty, like too salty, but like salty in a good way. Uh, very creamy, melts in your mouth. Chocolate, I mean, chocolate and peanut butter—that's a, a very favorite flavor combination for me.
2: I, you that, know, that was my second scoop.
1: There's, there's, there's a lot of ice cream in the heights right now. Um, between Sweet Bribery, Fat Cat, Cloud 10, Dolce Neve. There's more coming. I love Dolce Neve. Uh, there's more coming. Honey Child Sweet Creams is going to open at the MKT Heights development sometime next year. Hmm. Uh, Aqua S from Chinatown is opening on Yale Street in the same strip center as La Vibra. Um, but right now for me, I mean, just yeah. as a just yeah. as a scoop... Like not because Jenny's doesn't do Sundays. They don't do milkshakes. They don't do they don't have cookies or brownies or any of that other stuff. But just as a, a scoop of ice cream,
3: they don't need all that.
1: It is while. very compelling.
3: They they have a solid product. They don't need all the woo woo to go with it.
2: <laughs> Can I, mean, I get a woo
3: woo? <laughs> it's, it's, it speaks for itself. Yeah,
2: it's very good. Go it's for very it. Good. And, do it. And the. Uh, uh, had a brief conversation when we were in there, just passing along a little insider knowledge. The pints that they have at Jenny's are not the same pints that you can get at Central Market. So if you're looking for Jenny's ice cream, go to Jenny's in the Heights. What makes the them different? Did they,
3: prob- they explain?
2: Yes, different distributor.
3: Somebody ah. else makes it. No, I don't no. think it's.
2: No, I think it's distributor. It's, it's just, it's just it's fresh. Just... It's a freshness issue. They, gotcha. they can completely control that that chain of command. Got it. So um, uh, and they have plenty there. Um,
1: oh, yeah. No shortage. Yeah. And yeah. Two dozen different flavors in the dippers.
3: That's amazing.
1: Yeah. It's it's compelling.
3: Do it. Go.
2: Do it.
1: All right, Becky, before we get out, before you get out of here, what's what's going on a fluff bake bar?
3: Uh, so this weekend we have Robin Berwick from Double Trouble and we're doing a I cannot pronounce this whatsoever. I'm going to try. Meli Kalikimaka which is Merry Christmas in Hawaiian. Hawaii. Yeah, the the so, the song. Yeah. Okay. Meli
1: Kalikimaka. There you go. Thank right? you. The song.
3: Uh so we're going to do uh, we actually I think
2: he needs to say that a few more times. I know,
3: right? <laughs> Three more times. I
1: don't think I can I I have um, to think about the. I have to think about the song in my head. And then I can...
3: <laughs> we uh, there's going uh, to be there's going to be spam and there's pineapples coming straight from Hawaii. Uh, there's going to be rum. Uh, there might be hot buttered rum. Uh, it's just going to be delicious, and it'll be a great way to kick off the Christmas week. And then holiday orders, get them in by Sunday. Do it. We got lots of good stuff.
2: By Sunday, people.
3: Pistachio pound cake. Derby pie stump to Noel
2: stump to Noel.
3: Yeah. I mean, come on. What is there not to love?
1: All right, Matt. Thank you. Thank you, Becky. Thank
2: you.
3: Thank you.
1: I'll be right back with Michael Sambrooks and
0: Steve breaker. You're listening to what's Eric eating.
1: I'm joined this week by two of the uh, principals in Sambrooks management companies, the, local restaurant group behind The Pit Room, 1751 CN Bar, Candente, and more. Gentlemen, let me introduce you individually so that people can hear your voices. Michael Sandbrooks, welcome back to the show. How are you?
4: Doing well. Thanks for having me.
1: Steve Breaker, thanks for being here.
4: Oh, thank you.
1: Gentlemen, I think the last time I had you on the show, um, Michael, you had just acquired the three... Uh, former cherry pie hospitality restaurants. It was about That's a right. year ago. Uh, starfish pie pizza and Lee's Fried chicken and donuts. You've, you've since, well, you've done you've, you've comprehensively uh, reworked two of them and you opened Candente, a Tex-Mex restaurant. So we have a lot to discuss. <laughs> um, why don't we start with 1751? Because, well, just chronologically, I think that, sure. that sort of makes sense to me a little bit about kind of the conception for the seafood restaurant because I, I've been, um, well, I'll be very honest with you. I've been, I've been working on my article about the best new restaurants of 2019. I have a spot for 1751 on it. Nice. And I was thinking about like, it's not a Gulf coast seafood restaurant. It's not, it's not like a generic, like you know, kind of classic seafood restaurant. Like, it's kind of its own thing. So how do you describe uh, what you're doing there uh, with Chef J.D. Woodward?
4: Okay, so, well, that took a little bit. So the the R&D process for uh, 1751 was about eight or nine months, really, uh, from conception to kind of realizing what we wanted to do and what we wanted to be. Uh, It was a lot of different conversations. And, you know, in the meantime, we had the advantage of, operating starfish, you know, so we had a full kitchen, we had a staff and we had the chefs that came on board and we were able to kind of play with dishes, get feedback and kind of develop it over time. But the general idea is we didn't want to be locked in, like you said, to being a golf seafood restaurant. We wanted to go beyond that. There's so many other things that you can bring in from other parts of the world, other parts of the ocean. We didn't really want to be limited to just what we could get from the Gulf Coast. Um, And then kind of drawing on everybody's kind of experiences that was involved, Steve being, you know, from Uchi and, you know, JD having a background with a good raw program. We kind of wanted to combine all those things. So our general thought was we wanted to be a small plate seafood restaurant. So we wanted people to come in, be able to order six, seven, eight different small plates, and then maybe share an entree. And that was kind of the general format of the menu that we went went with. Um, I mean, Steve could probably speak more to – kind of the food side. Cause he's been over there working directly with JD for the most part. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, from the outset, you know, just like Michael was saying, we didn't necessarily want to have like, Oh, we are this, uh, we wanted to be super flexible. Really. The one thing that we wanted to make sure was a standard was we were going to try to bring in absolutely positively the best product that we could, that we could find. So, um, you know, again, Big nods to the, uh, you know, the Gulf seafood movement. You know, I knows I worked for about eight years over at Reef and uh, certainly have a lot of respect for that. Uh, but at the same time, for us to be able to bring in ultra-ahi tuna from, you know, off of the uh, Hawaiian coast, uh, to fly in A5 from Japan, you know, these are all like really important things to us. We want to be able to expose people to as many of uh, the wonderful things that the world has to offer and just treat them as simply as possible, and try to respect what we're working with. Um, And to Michael's point, we wanted a restaurant that could be flexible, that kind of uh, cater to the people that want the traditional, oh, I want my appetizer, and then I want my entree, and then I want my dessert, and also cater to the kind of dining that I know that Michael and I really appreciate, which is I want to eat everything on the menu. Right. So right. fire, fire the menu. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Give me everything. Uh, yeah. Fire <laughs> the menu. Just give me five minutes in between. Right. And, um, and so to be able to offer small plates and allow people to kind of, you know, taste the menu across the board, something that was really important to us. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think JD is such a, a solid choice to sort of execute that vision Uh, You know, he, he worked for Brian Caswell at Stella Sola. He worked for Chris Shepard at, at Underbelly. He, you know, I, he worked with uh, Lyle Bento at at Southern Goods. So, you know, someone who, someone who's kind of uh, very thorough in his approach, but, but is, you know, very good at kind of taking those different immigrant cuisines and kind of incorporating them into his own perspective. I mean, I, you know, I like that I can get, you know, uni carbonara and chicken karage. if I, if I'm feeling a little more Asian or you can get, you know, wood roasted Gulf oysters and redfish on the half shell. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's all, it's all there for you. And, and I just think it gives the restaurant, you know, a flexibility that, that you couldn't have done if you were, you know, if, if you were just like, you know, Michael, I know you came up kind of in the, in the good company world, you know, if you, if you had just tried to replicate good company seafood, um, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to do some of those things,
4: no, I mean, and you're kind of locked into what you can do, and we didn't want to be locked into any one thing, but you know at the same time, trying to find a cohesive balance on the menu between all these different influences was a little difficult, and again, that's kind of what led us to kind of interesting small plates throughout the menu and i I mean I can't speak enough about how talented and good j d's been for that concept, just from bringing him on to where he is now just seeing the growth that he's had with the food and the staff. I mean, it's just completely streamlined. And he's, I mean, I'm blown away every time he puts out a new dish. I mean, he's doing some really, really exciting stuff over there.
1: Well, and, and I don't want to belabor this point too strongly, but obviously when you opened the restaurant, Lyle Bento was your, your culinary director and he's not with the company anymore. So, you know, for JD, I mean, it's, you know, what, it, what was it like for him? I mean, when he, you know, basically he had to step up.
4: Yeah, I mean, uh, J.D. kind of was brought on as the executive chef for that location. You know, um, Lyle obviously was helping him out um, with the menu there and the presence there. And, you know, he had a lot of kind of say and influence on a few of the dishes that we put on the menu. Uh, But for the most part, since J.D. came on, it's kind of been J.D.'s show. Um, I mean, he's been running the staff. He's been doing the purchasing. He's had, you know, a lot of the innovative ideas and he's kind of really delivered on kind of the concept that we went out to create. Um, and so as far as stepping up, I mean, it wasn't a big transition for him because he was already in that role. You know?
1: All right. And then let's, let's talk about the beverage pine because you, you named the restaurant after the gin act of 1751, which I didn't, I did not know was the thing until I got <laughs> that, that press release explaining the name to me. Uh, but you know, you have what, like a hundred and thirty gins on the back bar.
0: Well, I think we're up to one hundred and forty-six. David yeah. Manis will basically let me know if I got that number <laughs> wrong, but yeah, I think we're right around there.
4: Which we're going to slow down on that a little bit, I think. But no, no. We'll I mean, spot. you've got
0: to be hitting the approximately the
1: limit of the number of gins available for sale in You'd Texas at
4: some point. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we're getting there. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the name was funny. It was um, we we labored over that for like three months. We went several different names and we kind of wanted something that was a little kind of speakeasy ish, um, a little more subtle. Um, and so, you know, 1751, yeah, it's a nod to the gin act, uh, that basically regulated the production of gin in London and kind of made it into a better product than it is today. And so when Steve and I kind of sat down at starfish, one of the things that we were most impressed with was this, this gin program and this cocktail program that was uh, basically been headed up by David Manis for the previous owners. And uh, when we started thinking about what we were doing there, we just got really kind of fascinated by it and listening to David talk about all these different gins and the different styles. And so when we went through the renovation process, we built this huge elaborate back bar. uh, I think it holds like 600 bottles or something and uh, because we really wanted that to be a focal point of the restaurant so it's kind of a we built a big community table and a big bar that's real comfortable and you can come and talk to all the bartenders it's very interactive experience um and i think we have like 25 different cocktails on the list right now i believe so um so um yeah the beverage side was a, a huge component to what we wanted to do and um, we looked around Houston and we were like, we didn't really know who else was doing kind of gin focused cocktail bar. And we thought that there was kind of a big opportunity for that and a pretty exciting opportunity. So, yeah, that was a big part of 1751 and, you know, who we wanted to be and what our identity wanted to be. But, um,
1: All right. So you're you're heading in. You're, you're getting close to the year mark with with 1751. I
4: mean, how's it going? It's going great. It's going really, really well. The Astros were terrible for uh, five dining. <laughs> I'm sure that you've heard that from. All, I've heard that from multiple all people. your all your people out there. But uh, holiday season's great. Uh, we just rolled out a new holiday menu uh, for cocktails. We rolled out some new uh, holiday dishes dishes, seasonal dishes. Um, And, you know, business has been great. I mean, we've gotten a good response from everybody and we're starting to grow that regular client base, you know, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. So we're starting to see the same faces come in over and over again. And that's kind of what it takes when you get to that point, you know, is that you kind of have consistent, regular business coming in. And I think we're getting there.
1: All right. And then let's, let's move on to Candente, which you know, again, if I were, if I were ranking the best new restaurants solely by the frequency with which I have dined, <laughs> there, <laughs> uh, Candente would be my number one. Uh, I think part of that is part of that is that it's, it's just physically, it's very close to where I live. Uh, and part of that is that a couple of my good friends are, are, uh, kind of obsessed with it. <laughs> um, I think, you know, there's so much Tex-Mex in Houston, so much really good Tex-Mex in Houston. It can be, I think it's it's difficult to to open a new restaurant and have anything sort of original to say about it. Uh, how did you kind of approach that challenge? Because because I think you've you've achieved something.
4: Yeah. So I mean, you're right. So Houston is, I mean, it's a Tex-Mex town, and um, you know, we kind of talked about it. And you know, as far as the there's different levels, and they're just kind of different styles of Tex-Mex. You know, there's places you go for enchiladas and cheap street tacos there's places you go for fajitas um, when we looked at Tex-Mex you know I mean everybody says there's so much Tex-Mex but it's kind of like there's been you know three big players for the last 15 years the El Tiempo's the Papacito's the Lupe Tortillas the Nymphas. Um and there hasn't really been any kind of new new person coming into their their side of the market of Tex-Mex and that's kind of where we wanted to to be we want to try to get into that side of the market on Tex-Mex so we kind of took the same approach that we did with the pit room. Yeah, there's, there was a lot of good barbecue when we opened the pit room, but kind of went back to what our fundamentals were. It's we're going to buy the best meat we can. We're going to make everything from scratch, you know, and we're going to add a lot more higher quality items to the menu. Um, so that was kind of our general idea moving into it. And then, of course, we wanted to, we wanted to influence with with what we wanted it to be. So, you know, I have places where I go, like if I want beef fajitas, I'll go one place. If I want enchiladas, I'll go another place. If I want nachos, I go another place. So we wanted to try and be a place where you can get all those different things. You can get the combo plates, but you can also go for the fajitas and the add-ons, you know, and it's all really good quality under one roof. Um, so that was kind of what we set out to do. And then we have a section of kind of grill specialties that um, is a little bit more unique. Tex-Mex items like our half chicken, our taco burrito de res, stuff like that, uh, which not many of the other Tex-Mex places are doing. Um, and then we have the barbecue component. So when we opened the pit room, obviously we had a little bit of a Tex-Mex influence in the barbecue. Um, so that's kind of what we wanted to do. We wanted to do Tex-Mex with a little bit of barbecue influence. So you can get brisket enchiladas, you can get brisket tacos. Sorry, brisket, nachos, the whole br- brisket,
1: thing. Ca- br- uh, chop brisket in your queso. Exactly. I exactly. Mean, nobody, right, there's, a, right, there's a, some smoked elements in the campuchana, I think. Uh,
0: yep, Yep. and the, uh, the mussels that we do in the jasper oven, yep. you know, carry over that smoke. So yeah, we want to add like little hints of it. Certainly. Yeah, here
4: and there, you know, throughout the menu. So even the octopus gets, you know, picked up in the jasper. So it picks up the smoke for the campuchana. Um, a few other things like that on the menu
1: yeah I you know it it just it speaks to kind of the the comprehensive nature of your approach. I mean you you took over the old Cane Rosso space uh, on Richmond and you know just you kind of rethought it and I thought it was so smart that you you know when it when Coniroso opened the the entrance of the restaurant was on the Richmond side, which meant you had to kind of walk halfway down the building to get in the front door, right. which for an office building is like a logical place to put the front door. But when you're coming from the side street from Yokum or from the garage, you know, you, you just want to come in. So you, right. you put the, you move the front door to make it just a little bit easier to get in the restaurant. And I, I just like, it's such a no brainer, right? It's like, well, why didn't they do that the first time?
4: That's kind of what we thought. (laughs) I mean, honestly, we were walking the space with the architect, and uh, that was really the first comment we had is that the flow was off. So it was, you know, because you got to think about when you're driving in, just like you said, you're parking there. You want the easiest route to enter. Right, and And it's a long, skinny space, and so you just sort of orient the – Yeah, you orient it, you know, with the main entrance, you know, at the head of the long, skinny space instead of, you know, the main entrance walking in – off the street, which I think was probably a big problem for him. It was, it was just hard to get to, you know? Um, but I mean the general construction of the place was pretty good and easy. I mean, the permitting came out pretty quick. I mean, the hardest part was putting the the new hood in for the wood burning grill that we put in. Um, you know, we had troubles trying to design that and get that through a two story garage and all that stuff. And, um, but luckily we made it through. We're still working on a few things, but um, I think it all overall it came out pretty good.
1: Well, yeah, I, I do have to ask you about the, one of the things I think you're still working on, which is uh, it, it can get a little bit warm in that room sometimes.
4: <laughs> yeah. So actually I do want to address that. So it, It hasn't been. Everyone kind of is going. Well, why don't you just fix the AC? And um, well, I'm sure it's not that that simple. I'm I'm
1: sure you know (laughs) that it's a problem. Yeah, but I I did want to give you the chance to sort of tell people what you're doing about
4: it. I appreciate that. So um, I have an engineer working on it with me now, and I've gone through about six or seven AC people that have come out and looked at it, and um, you know, nobody's really been able to help. It's it's these Samsung smart units that our program with this chip that we can't access and turn on and off. So essentially we're going to have to rip out and redo all of the HVAC. Um, so it's going to mean closure time. It's going to mean a big ticket uh, project. And, you know, so it hasn't been as easy to schedule that or get somebody to really come in and investigate the current equipment that we have and really, you know, give us a direction on how to fix it. They've just kind of looked at it, said it's complicated, charge us for a trip fee, and then don't do anything about it. So it, it's been a really difficult road. Yeah. So if I could give anybody
0: out there a piece of advice is never buy any equipment, smart equipment, that's smarter than anybody that's supposed to service it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
4: yeah. So it's been a problem, but we're going to get it fixed. And then, you know, people have mentioned that it's smoky. It's because there's not enough pressure balance in the dining room from the AC. So it's not it's not a pressurizing enough so the smoke's coming out from the kitchen but as soon as we fix the ac all that stuff will be uh it'll it'll be normal it won't be smoky in there it won't smell like a barbecue restaurant it'll be perfectly comfortable for everybody and we are going to fix it soon
1: well and i'm sure you well certainly you you don't want to close during the holiday season and and you probably don't want to close until you you know until but i mean because when i drive past it it's it's this has been a really busy place. I mean, yeah. whatever whatever visibility problems Connie Rosso had uh you figured out how to
4: overcome. It's been busy. I mean, it's I mean, it's only getting busier too. And so it just makes it really really hard. So we got to find people to come out and work on it, you know, at midnight, and work out work on it overnight and stuff so that we can minimize how often we can close. It's and honestly, I I don't want to close. I mean, once you once you close you know, it's hard to get people to come back if they were going to try and dine with you and they show up and see that your restaurant's closed, then they might not ever come back. So it's, it's a tough balance of how to weigh the problems and how to fix the issues. Um, I will say I've, um,
1: you know, I've, I've, I've gotten, you know, a little bit, you know, the the staff, the staff gets it though. Like they keep the, the frozen margaritas coming. They keep the the tea refills (laughs) on lock. Like they're, they get it. Yeah. Um, and, and just, I mean, you know, picking a favorite dish. I mean, like, I, I'll never say no to an order of beef fajitas or, or a cheese enchiladas. Um, but the carnitas are, are, were the big revelation for me.
4: Yeah. So the carnitas actually came from our um, uh, our sausage making process. We just, we, you know, we cube up the pork and then we actually cure it for uh, two days. So we add the salt, the seasoning and all that. So... Uh, we cure it for two days, and then we render it in uh, bacon fat, a little bit of a few other things, and uh, so when we pick it up, we drop it in the fryer. It still holds all that moisture and that flavor, and um, so I think that's the big difference um, is the process of curing it and then you know keeping all that flavor in there. But yeah, the carnitas are one of my favorite things to eat there too. Yeah. All right. So so let's let's
1: move on to pie pizza because you've you you announced a, a new name. Right. I think I did. Was it Dubro or uh, Dobros. Dobro's Dobro's pizza um, and sandwich? What's the status of, of that? I mean, cause that, that would seem to be sort of the next
4: process. It's next in the process. Um, I can tell you it's I mean taking over or trying to do four restaurants in a year and a half has not been uh, easy. Uh, they all kind of take time and um, you know, it seems like it's about time for that one to come open with a new brand and a new name. Uh, We have the sign made. We have the branding done. Uh, We haven't really gotten, um, just to be honest, we haven't gotten around to the menu development yet. I mean, and it's just been a time thing. We're all kind of focused on 1751. Well, first we did kind of the Sam's food, and then we're really focused on 1751. And then Candente took eight months of uh, menu development, branding, and build-out, and it was just a, a lot of, effort. And then, you know, once it got open, we had a staff of 75 people that we got to manage, we got to train, we got to put systems in place and um, that we just haven't had enough time to put our attention on it. To be honest. Um, so, you know, soon we're going to work on it and uh, we'll see what happens. I heard, I heard rumblings once that you were
1: contemplating Chicago style deep dish. Is that, is that still something <clears throat> you kind of want to put your spin on?
4: I would love to. Um, I think And I'm just thinking around town. We don't really have much Chicago-style deep dish. So, I mean, I always like to think about what can you offer a market that's missing. And, um, you know, I know that when I go to Chicago, that's one of my favorite things to do is eat, you know, Chicago-style deep dish. We want to do the... uh, Spicy
0: Italian beef sandwiches, my all-time favorite food.
4: You know, all that stuff. Um, So, I mean, the food's great. um, But, again, it's just going to take time to figure out how to produce it how to make it, how to make it right and how to make it good. And uh, just haven't put the effort into it yet. Well, yeah, that, that does kind
1: of open up a, a larger question. I mean, you, you, uh, you converted one restaurant, you, you opened two more this year. How do you kind of manage the growth? Because, you know, certainly the the recent history of, of Houston restaurants is littered with companies that, Uh, flew too close to the sun shall we say when it came to their ambitions
4: sure so um yes i mean uh the the biggest thing that we've been trying to do is 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 grow our infrastructure to kind of handle the expansion which is mostly at the office and upper management level and um So that's really what we've been busy with, the accounting side, all the boring stuff that's not fun to talk about. But I mean, so we've just been trying to get all that stuff organized to be able to handle, you know, five units and, you know, 200 employees and, you know, all the different issues that come from that. So um, that's kind of why. You know, whereas me and Steve like to be in the restaurants, we've had to learn a whole new different role of control freaks. <laughs> yeah, being out <laughs> of the restaurants and and trying to make you know systems and stuff from a distance work in the restaurants. So uh, it's definitely been a weird learning process, and uh, it's a tough transition. But um, we're almost out of it. We're almost through it, and I think it's going to be uh, pretty good over the next couple of years, as long as we don't try and open up any more restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so like, what's like
1: the biggest thing you learned or what was the, what was the hardest thing to let go of?
4: Hardest thing to let go of is being there every day. And just that, that, how do I explain it? It's that, um, it's that feeling that you have to be at the restaurant for every busy service. And then it's, it's giving up that control to your other managers and finding managers that you trust to run things that you want them to. I mean, what would you say? No, I mean, it,
0: it's that. I mean, you kind of like uh, equate it to being a parent in a way. There's that separation anxiety, you know, after you've worked in the restaurant and you have R&D and you're spending 12 hours a day every day. And, you know, you're working for a month and a half and then you're like. Crap, I just can't keep doing this. I've got to take a day off and then you sit at home just going, "Oh my god, what's going on? What's what's going on? Why isn't anybody texting me? How are the, what's that person doing at that table? How is <laughs> right, everything?" Right, right, you're watching cameras on your right, phone like,
1: yeah. "Oh my god, that guy that guy needs a water refill." <laughs> yeah, right, exactly.
4: Right.
0: And, and you know, it's still one of those things where, you know, Fridays and Saturdays, I'll be expoing over at Condente. I run into the office, answer a few emails, and do whatever paperwork I need to do, and then I hop over to 1751, and, you know, it's, it's not like those guys need me to make that place operate. It's just, uh, I just feel better when I'm there.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's just being there. You have to be there to, you know, make sure that the standards are being upheld, and it's just, you can't be everywhere at once, so. Yeah, uh,
0: but, you know, I don't even know how— uh I answer the question you asked, but I don't know if we've learned all the lessons we need <laughs> we to learn have. yet. There's <laughs> yeah. a bunch of little ones like don't assume your AC is going to work even though you've got the proper tonnage and, right. you yeah. know, it's just, uh, take nothing for granted. But I
1: assume I assume you do want to grow. I mean, just experiencing Candente and, and kind of seeing the, the path of other Tex-Mex restaurants in Houston, that's the one that feels like it has likes to me.
4: Yes, us too. Uh, I mean, you know, the pit room I don't think can be recreated. It's, you know, it's got location and the bar next to it and the big patio. And, uh, you know, 1751 is kind of our high-end flagship. But it's not something that you want to recreate. You want that to be kind of a destination. Um, Candente, when we look to Candente, we think that that's got – I think that can translate to several different neighborhoods within the loop and, you know, maybe potentially beyond that one day, you know. And it's um, – I think it, I think it would it'd be the concept that we would choose to expand, if possible. You know, if the right opportunity came along.
1: So if I said there'll be three candentes in Houston five years from now, does that sounds about right to you?
4: Well, I sure hope so. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I sure hope so. Yeah, if all goes well, that would be that would be a good goal of ours.
1: Yeah. And then, do you have? Do you have other concepts in mind, or are you you kind of content with what you've got right
0: now? Yes, he does. <laughs> we, we probably won't go into them, but yeah, no, I it's, have it's a I constant have, conversation.
4: Yeah, I have two or three left that I want to do. <laughs> Just two oh, or three. Two you, or three. You have a burger? Is, is one of them a burger place? <laughs> no, oh boy, no, no, like, no burger place. I, I'm too scared to get into the burger game, but uh, <laughs> the sandwich game. I want to get into the uh, the sandwich game, like like. Casual deli, like, you know, big sandwiches, bunch of different sides. Um, I want to get into, I want to redo an old San Francisco steakhouse, bring that back. <laughs> um. I don't, I
1: don't know that, I don't know that you can have uh, a woman on a swing in front of the restaurant in in. I know, in 2020. I don't think that's on on politically them? correct.
0: I, I I, you know, <laughs> the, the woman on the swing was one thing, but the, uh, the table cheese that stayed there from party to party, I think was probably the most frightening thing to me, but <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's probably not up to health code anymore.
4: Yeah. Point. yeah. So there's, there's, there's always things floating around in your head, you know. But, um, you know, I think that our focus is going to be running what we have, getting everything streamlined, finding the right staff to make sure that the experiences are consistent and perfect every time. And then, you know, we'll see how it goes from there. But, I mean, our short-term focus is uh, streamlining what we got and what we did over the last year and a half.
1: Very good. Uh, I mean, that really brings me to the end of my questions, unless you have uh, something that I haven't asked you about that you want to address.
4: Boy, I can't think, think of, of anything. Not that I can think of. No. Uh-uh. All right.
1: Well, I, I mean, I know, I know you were here and you you went through the lightning round with me. Um, but uh, I mean, what the hell? You can we can we do it again? Do you mind?
4: Sure, I'll try to. Change my answer. <laughs> I'll try to ask you. I'll try yeah. to ask you a couple of different questions. We'll, we'll, okay. we'll compromise. Yeah,
1: we'll compromise um, somewhere along the way. Um, Michael, let me let me start with you. What was what's
4: your favorite cookbook? Ooh, favorite cookbook. I always forget the name. It's the uh, it's the big textbook one. It's like the science of cooking from that Kinji guy. Ah. Uh, can't remember. The name oh, I know you're,
1: I know exactly what you're talking about. It goes I,
4: into the the specific de- detail of you know he goes through like boiling an egg and goes through twenty different uh, recipes. Yeah, the, just, is it at the Food Lab? Isn't that the what food he? Food Lab. Did? That's what the Food NG Lab. Lopez Alt. Food Lab has been my favorite cookbook. I loved reading that because it goes into that technical detail that a lot of cookbooks don't. Steve, how about you?
0: Uh, you know, I really enjoyed reading that Momofoco uh, cookbook, David Chang's cookbook. It was actually, uh, it was a really fun read. I really enjoyed that one, and, uh, and there's another one too that I, I just can't recall off the top of my head. But and uh, of course, you know, just the pictures in the Modernist Cookbook are just a blast. So that was always fun.
4: <laughs> right.
1: All right. Instead of asking you what the first band you ever saw in concert was, let me ask you what's the what's oh, the most recent concert you've seen?
0: The Melvins. Awesome show. Amazing show. Yeah. Saw it Warehouse Live. Can't beat a Melvin show.
4: I got to be honest. I'm not into going to concerts, so I haven't I haven't been to a concert in probably 15 years. So I can't even. Not, not even like the rodeo. Oh, I did go see John Legend at the rodeo. I think like four or five years. All ago. All right, That's close yeah, enough. Well, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> oh, my
0: my first concert was Ann Murray at the rodeo when I was a small wow. child. So it started with Ann Murray and ended with the Melvins.
1: Very wow. nice. Um, all right, so instead of asking you who your uh your favorite Houston sports figure, Pastor or present, is, let me. Let me ask you who is your favorite who's
4: your favorite current Texan? Ooh, favorite current Texan.
0: JJ I mean, Watt.
4: I mean, it's hard to distinguish between probably DeAndre Hopkins, I think. Yeah, Hopkins seems I, like a good hand. Yeah, hat. probably De, probably DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, JJ Watt's the obvious town favorite, but Wow. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. You know. But as far as uh someone who's always gonna do something exciting, probably DeAndre
1: Hopkins. All right. no. Uh,
0: I'm gonna change my name to uh, mine, uh, to Whitney Merciless. Then how's that That's obvious for you? <laughs>
1: yeah. uh, all right. Instead of asking you for your uh, for your fast food guilty pleasure, let me let me ask you: What's your favorite restaurant in Chinatown? Ooh.
0: Fufu. I absolutely adore the uh, cumin lamb. Amazing! Amazing! Great dish. One of my favorites.
4: I think it's. Uh... Fufu's great. I think it's Hai Chang probably. The Oh yeah. I think it's the I got the Dungeness Crab there that they did with the curry. It was I still think about oh, it. Oh yeah,
1: that, that stir-fried lobster dish.
4: Oh my god. Yeah, we got that too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I that's, mean that place. That's strong. And then the uh either that or the crawfish place. I can't remember the
0: name of it right Crawfish one, noodle?
4: No, the other one. Oh,
0: okay. Wild old <laughs>
4: kitchen. <sighs> no
1: crawfish and beignets there's uh this uh, makes for great radio yeah i know sorry (laughs) sorry we'll we'll move on (laughs) um and then and then finally uh since you're since you're working on a pizza place what's your uh what's your go-to pizza order what are your favorite toppings
0: literally everything at jalapenos just no fruit no pineapple
4: so i try to go basic i i I do like two times at the most either like pepperoni and mushroom or i like canadian bacon and black olive all
1: right give us the the websites for the for well at least for uh candente and 1751
4: how's that okay it's uh candente com, and then uh the 1751 is 1751 houston.com and then we've got the pitroom com. all right
1: Michael, Steve, thanks for being here. Well, thank you, thanks, Eric. Thanks a lot. Thanks Appreciate for having it. us.
4: All right. You can follow
1: me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on dot for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.